Good morning. I love that song. Thank you, Randy, for leading it. Thank you all uh, for joining with him and singing that song. I love the just the idea of if, if our words could be like drops of rain and it just kept raining and raining and raining, we just there, there wouldn't be enough words to describe the love that we have for God because of what He did for us. How could we possibly explain? But there are other times that I, I want my words to suffice because if, if God really saw what was in my heart, I would be a little concerned about that. And, and so I temper the things that I say among people and even in my own prayers because I'm afraid that if God actually knew what was going on inside, uh, He might be a little repulsed. I don't want God to know about this. I, I want to keep my prayers sanitized. Well, this morning we're talking about prayer, and I want to desanitize your prayers this morning. I want to take out some of the words, and instead, let's talk about a heart and the meaning of it. But we're going to start out with a story of a man named Gideon. Many of you have heard stories of Gideon. Many of you have seen it played out at VBS or on a flannel graph. You know the stories of Gideon. If I say Gideon, Gideon, you're going to think of an army that is uh, smashing up jars. And they're raising torches. And they're blowing their trumpets, which causes mass confusion. And the Lord delivers them. That might be what you think of when you think of Gideon. You might hear the name Gideon, it may make you think of uh, some special wicking away wool as you lay down the, the fleece, so to speak, and God gives you direction. Maybe when you think of Gideon, you think of slouching soldiers and culling an army from 32,000 down to less than 1%, giving it about 300. But before all of that takes place, before this odd reference to Gideon, Gideon being like a loaf of barley bread rolling down into a camp and overturning a tent, there was a dialogue that took place between God and Gideon. And I want you to prepare yourselves for the fact that this is not a sanitized conversation. There's a lot of talking, and there's a lot of listening, and there's even a little bit of pushback going on between Gideon. And I want to introduce you to an idea that we can talk to God, and He listens, sanitized or not. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Or if you prefer, you can join with me in the Believe book. We're going to be starting on page 199. And we're going to be reading a little bit about the story of Gideon. But it starts off before him with the Israelites. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. 
They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished. Midian, excuse me, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I want to stop for just a second right there. That's just a really interesting statement that was made. Uh, I hope that you're reading this as we go along uh, throughout uh, our study of this. Uh, And I hope that as you read, you have your highlighter or your pen handy. I always do. And this is one of those sentences that just had to be underlined. That Midian so impoverished the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. As if the trigger, the catalyst to lead Israel to call out to God was that they would have to go through a difficult time, that they would have to suffer, that there would be agony, that there would be a cup for them that they would have to hold. I wonder about us. I wonder what it takes in order for us to want to cry out to God. But this is not about us, this is about Gideon. So let's keep reading on. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazirat. I I tried at least a dozen times pronouncing that name, and I still can't get that right. There's a diphthong in there, and I don't know what that means, but I still pronounce it wrong. Abiezrat, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Boy, that's a good way to start off a conversation, isn't it? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? happened to us? What an amazing question. Have you ever heard that question before? Why is this happening to us? I haven't seen the article, but apparently in a a major national newspaper, uh, there is a a front uh, page headline that basically is suggesting that the reason why we have all these problems in America is because God's not doing what He's supposed to be doing. 
It's his fault. He's the one to blame for this. Why is this happening to us? Where are all His wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Fair statement. Mighty warrior Gideon. Says to God, why are you doing this to us? You used to do miracles, and now you don't? I mean, if you really are who you are and we're who we're supposed to be, I mean, we're your children, we're your chosen people, shouldn't you do something about this? I mean, have you been gone a little while? Have you forgotten this group of people that has come in? They kill our animals. They lay siege on our cities. We're out hiding in cliffs. I mean, where are you? Aren't you supposed to do something about this? And the response was simple. You haven't listened. Notice what he's saying. He didn't say... You stop talking. He didn't say you gave up on your religious activities. He said you aren't listening. I'm getting really, really good at asking that question. And it has something to do with the three small people who live in my house. When I will ask them to do something, and they don't do it. Or you can tell that their mind is anywhere but in that conversation. And I have to stop and look at them, and squeeze their chubby little cheeks, and say, are you listening? I don't say, are you talking? Are you talking to me? No, no, no. Are you listening? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Give me a nod. Let me know by your actions that you hear what I'm saying to you. That if I ask you to go clean your room, you don't say yes and then keep doing what you're doing. There has to be something that triggers in your mind that you don't just say, yes, I heard you, but you're actually going to do it. Take out the trash. It's your turn. Okay. And the trash is still there. And the question I ask is, are you listening to me? Not are you talking. I think we sometimes associate prayer with talking. These are all the things that I need to say to God and the things that I need to list out. And I think as we've talked about before, prayer is more about listening. But, I do believe that we have a God who's so big and so wise and so merciful that He listens to us.
even when we lodge our complaints of, well, where are you? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And so Gideon wants, like most of us wants, he wants a sign. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, he prepared a young goat. And from the FF of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord! I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. This is where it gets interesting. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and there called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this hut. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Do you hear what God just asked him to do? Okay, I want you to tear down the altar to Baal, the one that people come and make sacrifices on, and then I want you to cut down the Asherah pole. And then you're going to cut that up into smaller pieces because you're going to use that as wood. That is going to be fuel for the new sacrifice that you're going to make on the new altar that you're going to build. So Gideon took ten of his servants... That can only mean one of two things. Either one, he wanted some accomplices, so in case he got in trouble, he thought, it wasn't just me, these other ten guys helped me, right? Or maybe this Asherah pole and this, uh, and this altar were so big, he couldn't do it alone. It was big enough that in the morning when it was gone, some people would miss it. And of course they did. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? And I love this part right here. When they carefully investigated it, like there was not a sign left, 
I don't know how they figured it out. I don't know if they took like sandal prints and traced them back to where Gideon was, but this was like CSI way before TV. And they checked out the crime scene and the footprints fit and went back to Gideon's tent. And now there's trouble. When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And I love this logic. This is just so great. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around them, are you going to bail, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal contend with him. Well, we see how that went. We really don't hear of Baal again in this story, do we? But now all the forces of the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. He also sent them to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. So let's, let's just quickly go over what has taken place. Because what's about to happen next, and this is the last part we're going to look at in, for Gideon in Judges 6, but this is interesting. What has happened to this point? Okay, let's see. The angel of the Lord came to Gideon and he spoke to him. Okay, as a result of that, okay, there was this altar that was, was built, this food that was prepared, and the Lord struck it down, and immediately the angel of the Lord disappeared, and, and Gideon knew this was really him. Okay, this is already a lot. I've lived a long time now, in my 40s. I've lived a long time. I, I don't have any stories that match this. I don't have a story of an angel of the Lord coming to me, and then me preparing food and taking it under the oak, and it, you know, just being zapped. Okay, I don't have this story. This is only the beginning. After that, the angel of the Lord spoke again to Gideon and said, Okay, tear down these altars and the Asherah pole, and you're going to use that stuff there to build me a new altar, and you're going to sacrifice using the wood of the Asherah pole. Uh, he did that. In addition uh, to that, he uh, was challenged Baal and said, Hey, if, if Baal was really a god... Bring it on. I'm ready for it. Okay. He got a new name as a result of this. All of a sudden, his new name around town is the guy who challenged Baal. He was filled with the Spirit, we read. And then he blew a trumpet, called the people together, and then sent out messengers. Okay. So all of this has taken place. I mean, this is pretty phenomenal. You could stop the story here. But then something really interesting happened. After all of this has happened, okay, 
He's greeted by an angel of the Lord who calls him a mighty warrior. All these things have taken place. And you think this guy has it set. Everything is in place. He is ready to rock and roll. But what does he do next? Does anybody know what he does next? God, I'm I'm not really sure. What? What do you mean you're not sure? The angel of the Lord came to you. I mean, shouldn't you have thought about this a little while ago? Like before you cut down the Asherah pole, before you got renamed, before you sent out the messengers to rally the troops to go after the Midianites? After all this has taken place, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. That's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Okay, good. We've got this taken care of. As if everything prior to this point didn't lead us to believe that God was in charge and he was going to use Gideon. Now it's done. The fleece is wet. The ground is dry. He wrings it out. Everything is good. We have our mighty warrior. Let's move on, right? Nope. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did also. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground around was covered with dew. This was not a quick test, mind you. Dew happens, occurs when? In the morning, throughout the night. This was a two-day test. He calls people in. And then he says, hang on, I'm not really sure if this is supposed to happen. He's uncertain. And here is what I want us to get to. We have a God who accepts that we have uncertainties. We have a God who's willing to work with us through our fears. Even a God who would call you a mighty warrior still understands that you have struggles and you have fears and you have hurts in your life. And what He wants from you is what He asked of the Israelites. Listen. That's what He calls us to do. To be in prayer with Him. Not simply list. Not simply to go over a a rote prayer that we say every day. Not simply to reserve our, our, our prayers to a 30 second prayer thanking God for the food and no other times. But to be in constant prayer with Him. I want to spend just the last minute or two to ask this question. And and we won't go there, but let's move forward a few thousand years from where Gideon was. And instead of being under an oak tree, let's find ourselves in the garden. Jesus goes off to pray. And we're really familiar with this passage. I believe most of us are. Jesus takes several of His disciples 
He says, stay here while I go and pray. And he goes about a stone's throw away, and he begins to pray, and he's in anguish. And he prays, and he he prays in an interesting way because he doesn't say, God, I'll do this unless you can find somebody else, unless there's some other way to do this. He says, I don't want to do this unless you can't find anybody else. Do you hear the difference between that? It wasn't, I'll do it unless you can find a different way. He says, if there is no other way that this can be done, if you've exhausted every resource and there's no other avenue in which you can take, then I'll do it. This cup of suffering. The same suffering that led the Israelites to cry out to God. But here's what really really intrigues me. Why did Jesus go back? I mean, how many other times do we read of Jesus spending all night in prayer? It's found all throughout Scripture. He goes off to pray. He's there all night. They wake up. They look around. Where's Jesus? We can't find him. We don't know where he is. Or he sends them off on the boat. He's off praying, you know, until the fourth watch of the night. He's out praying from 9 p.m. till 6 a.m. And then he comes strolling across the water. But this is what's interesting. He leaves him there and he goes to pray, right? He prays for a while, but then what does he do? He comes back to him. Why does he come back to him? Why didn't he just stay there and pray? He comes back, he looks, he says, What are you guys doing sleeping? Can't you stay awake? And he goes off to pray again. And then he comes back again and he sees them praying. So he goes off again. Why did he keep going back to them? Why didn't he just stay where he was? I believe he went back to his disciples because he was calling them to join him in prayer. He could have stayed out there and left them sleeping the whole time. But he didn't. And in the same way, he calls each one of us to pray. We're now entering in to a a week where we are challenging you to spend 25 minutes in prayer. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. I'm not going to assume that all of you are awake that entire time. But at least some of that time probably eight, nine hundred minutes, you're awake. Twenty-five minutes. Not talking, not listing, not criticizing. Just spend twenty-five minutes in silence to God. God wants to do great things through us. But sometimes, I just think He wants to reach down and squeeze our little cheeks and say, are you listening? Because i got something that I want to tell you. Maybe Rusty's right. Maybe you're a little too busy right now. Maybe the noise, the distraction that's going on with this season, instead of celebrating the birth of Jesus, maybe you're running around trying to find that perfect gift or gift or make sure you get everything aligned for all those different uh, dinners that you're going to have. I just want to encourage you to slow down. 
Let this be a season where we give it to God and where we spend time listening to Him. If the noise has gotten too loud or you found yourself too busy and you want to just sit and rest with God, we want to encourage you to join us as we do the same things ourselves. As we listen to a God, as He calls us to be mighty warriors for His kingdom. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.